sometimes the only thing we have in, each, in common with each other is suffering. People don't always feel love. And that unless we feel love, human love, it's really hard to experience, to know, or think that God loves me. Yeah. But it's one of those things we can't hear enough. Welcome to Perennials, a podcast about growing up, getting wise, and trying to live a good life. I'm Victoria Russell. I'm sharing this episode on December 16th, so we're coming to the end of the year and all of the wrapping up that that entails, and it's the beginning of winter here in the Northern Hemisphere, so the days are short and dark and cold and winter is coming, and the holiday season is here, and that brings all this other busyness and sometimes I can find both the darkness and the light of this time of year a little bit overwhelming. So I wanted to talk to someone who has a certain grounded and centeredness at this time of year and that's why today's guest is Karen Florence. She's a certified spiritual director and retreat colleague at Loyola Jesuit Retreat Center in Morristown, New Jersey. Karen directs the 19th Annotation of the Spiritual Exercises, which are a form of Ignatian spirituality, which we'll talk a bit about in the conversation. She leads the book club and serves on the team for the weekend preached retreat and the summer directed retreat at Loyola. Karen is super down to earth and caring and has a great sense of humor. And she also has a very rich spiritual life and a deep faith in her relationship with God. I'm going to be honest, for many reasons, I've struggled with religion and spirituality and God. I don't really know what I believe, and I don't have the faith and the trust that Karen does, but I'm drawn to learning from people like her because of the love that they're able to channel through their faith. Karen and I focus in this conversation on the season of Advent leading up to Christmas. I know that listeners of the podcast come from all over the world and all different backgrounds and beliefs, but I hope that whether you celebrate Christmas or not, you can take from this episode a sense of gentleness for yourself and for others. I hope you can take some moments in this busy season to check in with yourself and know that whatever you're feeling or experiencing is okay and you can meet yourself with gentleness and trust that you're good and loved just as you are. And I hope if you're struggling, you can reach out to people that love you and don't think that you're being a burden or that you're being a bummer at this time of year when everyone's supposed to be happy. People that love you want to be there for you. And by reaching out, you give them that opportunity. And that is a gift. I'm someone who very easily gets stuck in the darkness, but I'm trying to practice looking for the light and cultivating hope. And for me, that's what this conversation is about. So I'll be keeping you in my heart during this season, and I'd appreciate it so much if you could keep me in yours too. Thank you. Karen, welcome to the podcast. Thank you, Victoria, and welcome to Loyola Jesuit Center. Thank you. For people who haven't been to Loyola or who haven't ever heard of spiritual direction, um, what is spiritual direction and what is your role as a spiritual director? Well, Victoria, I think I'd like to start off with my experience of spiritual direction and what me, what brought me to this uh, to this work, um, to this ministry, actually. So I was um, in a program called Just Faith, which is really a 32-week immersion program of Catholic social justice teachings. 
And through that 32-week period, I just noticed um, a real growth in my uh, desire to know God, to grow in prayer and service. Um, and I guess I was just bugging my parish priest a lot with, hey, Father, did you know this? Or, hey, Father, can I share this with you? That he finally said to me, you know, Karen, you really need to sp- see a spiritual director. And I had no idea what a spiritual director was. So what do I do? I start reading some books. I read a book by Thomas Merton, Henry Nowen, and then finally, you know, getting an idea of what it was about, I approached my pastor and said, oh, you know, Father, you know, I was told I should see a spiritual director. Do you have any recommendations? And he goes, well, you know, if you're going to do spiritual direction, you really need to see a Jesuit because they're the only ones that do it right. <laughs> so I end, so that's why I arrived at Loyola, meeting with the Jesuit priest for spiritual direction. So a spiritual director is really, um, we offer a presence, a, a place to share these, uh, emotion, these spiritual journeys that we go on, how we experience God. Um, and one thing we know about Ignatian spirituality and what St. Ignatius teaches us is that we see God in all things. And as we grow in relationship with God, we begin to notice more and more how God works in our life and how God works in the lives of others. So we have a presence, it's a space to be able to share those experiences, um, to go deeper into those experiences. Um, so as a spiritual director, my role is really to listen, you know, to be compassionate, to encourage those experiences. Um, a confidentiality is a big part of our role, is that, you know, whatever is shared um, in our meetings goes no further, because so often we share not just a spiritual experience, but our own life experiences. And, and those can be very heavy. They can be very joyful, but they can be very heavy and, and very personal. So confident, confidentiality is very important. Um, encouragement and hope. Um, and I think that's the big part of spiritual direction is always uh, keeping that space of encouraging each other on our spiritual journey, you know, to bring a message of hope, uh, especially when we're sp- experiencing those fear- uh, uh, feelings of spiritual desolation, you know, to really help journey through those, to pray through those. Um, and a reverence and respect for how God works in each of our lives because it's just so different. And we see God differently. We experience God differently. Uh, to be able to acknowledge and respect those experiences as genuine uh, experiences of God. Um, and also, you know, to understand that we're not, we're not social workers. We're not counselors. We, but we'll encourage that if, we notice in our discussion, if I notice in the discussion something that really needs to be unpacked with a counselor or a therapist, I'll bring that up and suggest. And they really do complement each other um, to be able to unpack those experiences, um, learn how to um, cope, you know, coping skills. But also from a spiritual direction side of it, I'll say, where was God in that? Were you able to experience God as those experiences were unfolded in um, with your counselor, so they really do complement each other. Um, and you know, and it's a, a it's a relationship of you know unfolding that complexity um, experiences of God. Mm-hmm. I love that you started by talking about your experience um, 
what led you to spiritual direction. And it's nice that you had a relationship with your priest that you felt like you could go to him with those questions. Cause I feel like not everyone has that relationship, even though, you know, eventually it was like, okay, you got it. <laughs> you need someone else too. Um, it's nice that you had that. So yes, I was, I was so blessed to have, uh, you know, parish priests that were so engaging and, and approachable, mm-hmm. um, that acknowledged, um, my experiences being something valid. Yeah. Because I think a lot of people, not just in the Catholic church, but in many different churches have experienced things that have hurt them or made them feel not accepted or not safe. Um, and so that's also, I think a question when I first heard about spiritual direction, I wondered, you know, is this is spiritual, spiritual direction safe for everyone? Can anyone go? Um, is it something where if I go, you know, the person is going to be kind of telling me what I'm doing wrong and pushing dogma on me. Um, so what would you say to someone who has those fears about it? Um, to let go of those fears. That's not what, um, spiritual direction is all about, especially in Ignatian spiritual, you know, spiritual direction, because we really look to meet people where they are. And it's that, um, relationship with God. We encourage and support a personal relationship with God, knowing that our relationship with our church is very important, but also it, it's important as it works with our relationship with God. Mm-hmm. The two work together. Yeah. And something else that you talked about was the importance of hope, like the spiritual director bringing hope to the person, that they're, like their presence, their compassion and hope. And hope is a theme that comes up a lot in the season of Advent and yes. in Christmas, right? So I feel like that's a good segue to talk about what is the season of Advent that we're in right now. Um, so, it's our, so for me, Advent is really this beautiful season of our tur- church's liturgical calendar. It's a time, a time where of, of waiting, uh, preparing, of hope and prayer. And in our daily readings, you'll, we'll read Isaiah. And it's, his message is of such hope um, in a time of their exile. Of There was their midst of exile, of prophets uh, speaking of hope. When you think about it, you know, the people were, were exiled and under a severe oppression. Yet here the prophet is speaking of hope, of healing, of peace, abundance. You know, he points to a God that will make things all, make things all new. Um, so the readings in itself are just beautiful and, and filled with hope and encouragement. Um, you know, it's also that physical time where we're, we're going, the days are getting actually darker and yeah. darker. Um, and to see that movement into light and to, you know, how Christ enters into our world as the light in the light, I think it's just so profound and beautiful. Mm-hmm. And again, you know, encouraging. Yeah. Yeah, and that, that interplay of darkness and light is something that um, I mentioned to you last week that I was reading Richard Rohr's daily emails about Advent, and he kind of talked about how darkness and light go together, and you can't have one without the other. Um, and I also mentioned uh, to you before, the, the there's a meditation by James Finley from the Center for Action mm-hmm. and Contemplation where he talks about Advent, um, and he says... Uh, the story of Christmas is there was no room at the inn, but God came anyway. And he talks about how we can have such full and busy lives, 
um, but that God is always present and we just have to seek out some of that. He, he says we have to seek out that dark, quiet stable so we can have some moments of peace that we can then bring out into the busy world. Um, and so there's like the invitation in the darkness to, to find some stillness and some peace. Right. And then to also look for the light. Um, but I think, you know, something I experience a lot is resistance to the darkness and resistance to the quiet and resistance to prayer, um, or meditation and stillness as much as I got, I really appreciate alone time and things like that. But then if I actually am just totally alone and it's dark and quiet, that resistance comes up. So I'm curious as, as a spiritual director and just as a person, what have you experienced are the most common reasons that people resist um, prayer or meditation or those quiet forms of contemplation? Well, I find for some people, you know, quiet anything uh, can be challenging, you know, to just be quiet and for any reason, you know, because they're just always on the go and always, um, you know, out there speaking or sharing. Uh, so a lot of it is, that, you know, you, you start somewhere and you start just by slowing down. Um, often I'll suggest, you know, to find a place to pray. You know, uh, you know, we call it our prayer chair. You know, find that one place where you're going to be, um, you're going to be quiet, that you're going to allow the quiet to enter into your heart, into your mind, into your soul. Um, and sometimes it's just the time. Start off with maybe like five minutes and then build up over time to like 15 or 20. But just, you know, we just have to start sometimes. And with that, you know, have with you, uh, you know, a, a, maybe a poetry book, scripture, artwork, something that will quiet your mind, that will bring you to a quiet place, a peaceful place. Um, so, and, and just to start, you know, in that quiet. And often, you know, we'll get distracted, you know, in that quiet. So, so people will say, oh, I, you know, I, it's so hard for me. I start my, 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 my to-do list or everything that I'm going to have the rest of the day. Or I recall, you know, you know, the bad experience, that argument I had with my friend the day before or argument I had with my boss. And it kind of pours into that quiet time. Um, so and when that happens, it's, it's one of these things where I encourage people just to, to pray with it. Maybe that time in prayer is to offer that, you know, what happened in that argument, you know, and to find some peace, um, forgiveness of healing, um, make that prayer period a time of offering that to God, sharing that with God, you know, having that conversation. You know, I always, prayer is always, always a time of quiet, but it's also a time where we can talk to God and spend time, you know, listening as well, you know. Um, so I think not to be intimidated, to embrace it, to let the distractions, to welcome them, you know, not so much to push them away, but realize that maybe that's something that you're being called to share with God. Um, sometimes people will say, all right, but I, I, that's not working either. All right, well, then maybe have a notepad to go to and just write down those thoughts, put them down, and go back to the quiet. You know, in other words, um, take pause, be able to put them to a place, put words to them, and then just put them aside. Sometimes that takes the uh, the pressure off, so to mm. speak, so that you're, we can allow ourselves to be in that quiet, that quiet prayer. And I feel like um, 
another form of resistance is fear. Like what might come up in prayer? What might I discover? Or, you know, people being afraid that God will ask them to do something they don't want to do. Or like, I, I think that there's like this fear about, or even just what if I start crying and I can't stop? Like some people, I think when they're carrying around sadness or pain or grief, they're just so afraid of it. So I'm curious what words of wisdom you might have for people who are afraid to even touch that tender place. Um, Well, one of the things with prayer is that we never pray alone, right? So we always pray. We open up our prayer to be for the Holy Spirit to be with us. Mm -hmm. So one, to remind people True prayer, we're never really alone. The Holy Spirit's with us. And for those uh, those moments that comes up, you know, being able to pray from the heart, because when I hear the words like, I'm afraid to cry, well, tears are good. Mm -hmm. I mean, they just help us unburden uh, what's going on. So I would say, yeah, that's that's okay. If you're crying, that's good. You, You know, those tears are really of, of something that we're feeling. They're that physical part of what we're feeling. Mm-hmm. I would say what might even talk about, you know, what were those tears about? Were they tears of joy? Were they tears of sadness? What can you say about those tears? Mm-hmm. Um, that question of what's God again ask for me, you know, it gets, a, it gets all of us. Mm-hmm. But, you know, to be reassured that God will never, that we have a, God, a gentle God that will never bring to us anything that we're not ready for. And I think the story of the Annunciation is the perfect example, you mm. know, where God, you know, it was a triangle, right? It was God, the angel Gabriel, and it was Mary <clears throat> that had that conversation. Um, and he, it was a just very gentle, you know, be not, do not be afraid, Mary. You know, uh, you have found favor with God. So she knew she, was, she had this wonderful relationship with God. And that for her to say, how can this be, was just a conversation. She was looking for a way of, of how can I accept this? And, you know, when she says, the handmaid of the Lord, it was just such a willing acceptance that I want to be part of this. It didn't, he, there was no, it was just so gentle. And it was something that she was willing to be a part of. Um, and you know, it's in that story, we always, um, I always reflect on it, and I always say to myself, well, how many times did the angel come to her? <laughs> you know? Oh, that's interesting. You like, know, maybe did, that wasn't the first maybe time. Maybe that wasn't the first time. You know, like all of us, you know, you, teach, you know, she was born without sin, but she was human. So, you know, I wonder, you know, how many times. And mm. there's a beautiful poem by Bishop Morneau that suggests the same, mm. you know, was did did the angel go to other women? You know, like it, oh yeah. You know, there's a it's that's and that's what poetry allows us to do is expand that story. Yeah, that's really beautiful, <clears throat> and it is interesting how often. Um, I mean, I'm not like I don't know a ton about the Bible, but I feel like often that phrase "Don't be afraid" shows up like right. over and over, and sometimes even just connecting to that that knowledge that it's human to feel afraid. I'm, I so often think like, I just shouldn't feel afraid. I'm so often just trying to cast out fear, thinking that everyone else is braver than I am. And I forget that everyone experiences fear. Um, and yeah, it's right there in the beginning of the Advent story is the first 
sentence, right? <laughs> it's like the angel saying, don't be afraid. Do not be afraid. Yeah. And, and that's, it's true. I mean, but we lose out on a lot when we spend too much time with fear. And I think a lot of uh, ways to deal with fear is to just pray with it, you know, and, and look underneath what are those, what are we afraid of? Mm-hmm. And what are those fears? And to really being able to pray with them, because I really believe that as we pray with them, that God reveals our own selves. Mm-hmm. He reveals something about himself, but also about us. Um, and, and gives us that grace and that courage to overcome that fear. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I think trust sounds like a big, you know, piece of this. Like, <sighs> you know, in that first story, Mary makes a choice. She does make a choice to say yes, and that's a choice based in trust, right? Right, that- she trusts in God. And I, what I noticed too in that story, her strength and her courage, because when she accepted it, she didn't say like, to the angel, like, hold on, let me go check with Joseph. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I'd yeah. love to answer you right now, but I'm, you know, I really have to go back and talk to my father about this. She was her own person, yeah, accepting, a, um, you know, a, a huge role, you know, sacrificing her own life, her own life plan, whatever she may have dreamed of, was now going to be, uh, was going to be a different path. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's quite a different path, right? <laughs> right, you know. Um, to accept that role as, you know, a young mother, um, and even the situation of she was just engaged. Yeah. He could have, he could have, like, just left her, right? Yeah. I mean, I mean, and Jewish law, you know, would have called for a stoning. Yeah. So, um, and she knew that. But, you know, she trusted in God. She trusted in his um, providence that he would care for her throughout. Mm. And I feel like that's something that's difficult for people when, you know, I'm thinking of, did you ever watch Tig Notaro's, um, the documentary about Tig Notaro, the comedian, um, or she's a, she's a stand-up comic and she did a comedy special, um, the day after she, I think it was like the day after she found out she had breast cancer. Mm. And in that same year, she, her mother died very suddenly of like a strange accident. Her mother like slipped and fell and hit her head and died. And she was very close with her mother. And then, um, she got, um, this comedian take, she got really sick, like, um, almost died of like an infection. And then, um, she was in a relationship and her girlfriend left her. And then she found out she had breast cancer. And the next day she went on stage and she was like, well, this is what I love to do. So I'm going to do it. But she made this joke that she was like, you know, when people say like, God will never give you more than you can handle. (laughs) She was like, are the angels just up there laughing? Like, no, let's give her one more. You know, um, she was like, this seems a little cruel. Um, and there are times in people's lives where it feels like this is more than I can handle, or this is just too much, or there's no guarantee that I'm going to be fine you know so I feel like that's where why the trust piece is so hard because it's not you can't trust that nothing's going to go wrong and everything's always going to be fine right 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 yeah I think what what I'm reminded of in those stories is you know the fact that we can go back to the fact and if we have that true faith and a relationship with God that we realize that no matter what that no matter what, God is going to be with us, mm-hmm. that we'll never alone. Um, 
and those human experiences are are true and we and they're hard they're dark they you know you have that sense of hopelessness you know that loss of control but at some point most you know there to be able to just uh to notice god in those moments you know and for her you know i you know she's got a great one of the gifts is her sense of humor to be mm-hmm. able to yeah. see what's going on and to say and have that you know that talk with the angels like enough already and that's a lot of times you know i hear that too when you know when god is going to ask something that we're not ready to do it's like not me god right you're <laughs> yeah. not talking to me are you you're not yeah. we're not going there why don't you go talk to, you know, Susie over there? <laughs> yeah. She seems to be really interested in that, not me. Yeah. Can you come up with something else or, you know, not today. I'm not doing this. I'm not ready. Um, so I, there's a gentleness of God and um, of providence and, and uh, um, he's always with us no matter what. And that's kind of, to me, um, like I've had my... I don't know. I'm a pretty skeptical and doubtful person. It's really hard for me to even, I mean, I'll come in to talk to you and I'll just be like, I don't know that I believe in God. <laughs> like, I'll, um, But the most compelling thing about Christianity to me is the idea of a God who um, suffers with, who literally becomes human and suffers with and, you know, is present with um, human beings in their suffering versus a God that's apart from it somehow. Right. Um, but somehow, you know, the mystery is like the God that's in the, or with you in the suffering. Um, and something that I find interesting about different Catholic writers like Thomas Merton is, I read a Thomas Merton book where he said, you know, like, don't try to tell someone there's meaning in their suffering. Like sometimes suffering is just suffering. You know, he's like, don't try to make it into, oh, this is happening because. Like, yeah. you can't always explain this stuff. It's, it, it, there is, there's a great mystery in suffering. We don't know why or how. And there's, I agree, there's just no way of explaining it. I mean, I, I best <clears throat> answer to that is to be able to hold somebody's hand and just say, no matter what, I'll be with you through this. Yeah. You know, to put their, your arm around them. To, to bring them that human comfort. That's the best, you know, resolve and to, you know, gun, you know, whatever we can do to help them, but just to, you know, be that compassionate person, to be willing to suffer with them. Yeah. To help them carry, you know, carry that burden. Because in some ways it would be kind of terrible if you could explain it because then it would mean like, oh, well, it's your fault because you did this. Right, like right. we almost, we kind of want that control but that would be terrible if it was like well you just got sick because you did this thing or you lost this person because of that i mean that would be awful to believe that it was that is such a bad road to go down yeah you know it just doesn't bring any peace or comfort um to anyone and it doesn't really answer any questions yeah um my husband had was diagnosed with uh, non-hodgkin's lymphoma and we never really knew how we got it. And I remember reading, you know, some of these cancers, it's, they say, you know what, it's, it's just bad luck. Yeah. It's just bad luck. A fr- you know, one of his friends came over after he was diagnosed and I said, well, Dave, can I get you some water? 
And he goes, I don't want any water in your house. <laughs> and both of us started laughing. And we're like, Dave, no one got cancer from the water. Oh, okay? my gosh. Wow. You know, we and, and my husband was, he had such a great, you know, he was just like, get out of my house. <laughs> it was really funny. But the thing is, you, there are no, there, sometimes we ask for those answers. Yeah. But I don't think we really, they're not helpful. Yeah. In a lot of cases, because there's just so much we can't control. Yeah. And, and if we could control all that, we'd be even more controlling and crazy than we already right, are. Right. Or am I going to be a happier person knowing that thinking I can control all right. this rather than, um, you know, to really just surrender to the will of God, mm-hmm. you know, to be in that place of wanting in my life what God wants for me. Mm-hmm. Did that experience shake your faith or your trust? Um, it strengthened it. I really, I mean, not, you know, there's always that element of human suffering which Mm -hmm. was there for me and my children but um there was that deep relationship that I knew that God was with me and Mm -hmm. and that um and even you know the story is you know there's there's no um resurrection without a death you know it's a life death and resurrection um and that was playing out in my life in my family's life the life death and resurrection Mm -hmm. You know, it was just, what was that resurrection going to look like? Mm. You know, uh, but we had great, you know, great doctors, great supportive friends and family. Um, so it's it's a human experience. Yeah. Yeah. It's amazing how a conversation about Advent, you know, so quickly becomes, <laughs> but well, it, at least for, the, for yeah. me, a conversation about suffering and, you know. Right, because he's, you know, he's being brought into a world that was suffering. Yeah. Um, and so, you know. The the image to me of God as a little baby, like, blows my mind. No matter what I believe on a certain day, like, that always really moves me to just think of, even if it's just a story, <laughs> right, that, um, whatever mind thought of God as a little baby and, and, so, and the relationship, like the... Um, father son holy spirit relationship of somehow there being a, a parent letting go of their child and the child going into the world vulnerable and all of that right right especially in a, such a violent world where yeah and children didn't matter you know yeah um to choose to be so vulnerable in a world that was very violent and disregarded children so it's very profound yeah yeah I always think about the Charlie Brown. I was telling you this, I think, recently. I always think about the Charlie Brown Christmas um, special where uh, finally Linus gets on stage and, like, quotes the Bible passage, for for God so loved the world. And I just always tear up at that part because it goes from this very kind of busy, again, like the Advent Frantic, season, like it's yeah. very busy. There's, you know, everyone's trying to get ready for the... Um, for the performance and every, all, there's all this music and noise and all of a sudden it just goes totally quiet and like the spotlight shines on him and this little boy with his blankie, you know, just says this little speech and it's, and he's like, that's what Christmas is all about. And it just right. always makes me tear up. Yeah, it brings us, it simplifies it. It brings us to a, the focus, the point. Yeah. Father James Martin has a good video for American media about desire advent and desire and how desire often gets a bad rap in religion um 
because people equate it with like wanting um, and wanting being a bad thing. But he says in this video that your desire, your deepest longings are drawing you closer to God. And actually that's God puts desire in you to, to bring you closer. Um, so I'm curious to hear, and, and I guess, you know, he was saying Advent is a time that you can get quiet, kind of get in touch with that desire in you and not just for the surface stuff, like, you know, the new phone that you want or something, but Mm -hmm. the deeper stuff. So I'm curious to know what you think about, um, desire, um, and, and, uh, and how we can get in touch with our desires during Advent. So, um, I believe that the key to a grace-filled Advent is to begin um, identifying where we are experiencing darkness, despair. You know, what are our longings? Because unless we know what we long for, what we feel that's missing, what we're wanting for, um, how do the words or the prayer of come Lord Jesus mean anything? So it's that deep felt experience of longing that raises up and helps us notice and name desires. We don't have desires until we long for something. So I think spending time in uh, noticing our longings, what is that deep felt longing that's in our hearts? that when we say, come, Lord Jesus, it means something. It comes from our heart. Yeah, and I remember you saying something to me about longing being just part of being human. Like you're always going to have a sense of longing that you can't quite satiate, right? That's right. Yes, you know, there is that sense of, of longing. As humans, we'll always have this longing that really only God will be able to satisfy um, I went, you know, I'm a big Hamilton fan, mm-hmm. and one one of the uh, one of the songs that goes throughout the whole play is "I will never be satisfied." Mm-hmm. And Hamilton lives his whole life, moving, changing, writing, fighting, everything. In the whole premise of he knew that from the beginning, I will never be satisfied. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that's it's true for all of us, mm-hmm. unless. And until that point when we recognize that longing will not be satisfied until we meet God. It's a, mm. satis- it's a longing that only God can satisfy. Mm. Yeah, I just watched recently a talk from, I think this past summer, and it was a conversation with Pema Chodron, the Buddhist nun, and actually Father Greg Boyle, um, who is the priest who started Homeboy Industries, I think in L.A. Yes, he works still with gangs. Yep, yeah, gangs. And they were having a conversation together, which is really great. Um, and someone asked at the end, what's your favorite song? And Pema Chodron said, I can't get no satisfaction. <laughs> and everyone laughed because, I mean, she's a Buddhist nun. Um, but she said it was the first song that kind of popped into her mind. Um, and I'm curious, like, when we get in touch with those longings, I mean, Advent in so many ways in the commercial and secular sense is all about making people long for stuff. Like we're bombarded with advert. I mean, we're always bombarded with advertisements, but during the Christmas season, which starts, you know, even earlier than Advent does in the liturgical calendar, it's like, we're just bombarded with messages about 
what we should ask for for Christmas or what we should be buying ourselves or other people or, you know, all the trimmings and trappings of the holiday that we should have. And, um, and sometimes we have longings for things, even if it's not the surface level stuff, we have deeper longings that are hard to, um, satisfy. Like I, you know, for some people that might be something like, you know, maybe they're single and they really wish they were in a relationship and they're not in one right now. Or, um, maybe they are estranged from family and they have this longing for their mother or their father. You know, there are certain longings that you can't just like notice them and go, Oh, okay. I'll just, I'll just get that now. Right. <laughs> um, I don't know. How would you suggest that people work with longing during the season for things that both for like the surface, you know, when they feel that surface level longing, like, oh, I just need to go to Target and fill my cart with $200 worth of stuff. <laughs> yeah, with that retail therapy they call yeah. um, Keep your receipts. <laughs> yeah, that's good. Keep your receipts. Because <laughs> um, that what So they're normal reactions, right? So a lot of times it's a matter of just, you know, taking that deep breath. Mm-hmm. And 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 to, to notice those longs and not let them control you or control your decisions. So a lot of that, you know, we call it discernment, discernment of spirits. You know, what? Where is this coming from? Is this going to be? Um, is this something that's going to bring me closer to God, mm-hmm. or is this something that's going to just satisfy a temporary longing that uh, I'll regret later? Mm-hmm. So a lot of it is. Um, being able to have the courage to um, stay with those longings but not act on them. Mm. And to go deeper into, you know, where is this really coming from? And, yeah. And really praying with them, you know, you know, especially, you know, relationships, whether it's a breakup that people are going through or a broken relationship that hasn't healed, is um, to kind of stay with it but not let it control you recognize, you know, Christmas Day is just one day. Yeah. You know, um, and try to, you know, put some boundaries about it. It is a difficult season because, you know, we are com- bombarded with commercials and you know, shopping and, you know, uh, but, you know, we can really, you know, I say, you know, find God in the mall, you know. <laughs> yeah. And, and and finding God in the mall is just seeing those gentle acts, those ways of just being patient with each other, standing in line, mm. uh, you know, looking for those simple gifts. You know, a lot of times you'll say, well, don't buy me anything. Just find something that you really like, but you think I would like and just take it out. You know, give me what you already have. Mm. Um it never really goes over well, though. <laughs> yeah. Asking someone to look around their own home. And, yeah, you yeah. know, that favorite bowl that you... <laughs> yeah, yeah. Why don't you give that to me? That, yeah. Um, in spending limits. But I think, you know, um, I guess, you know, just appreciate, appreciating the relationships that we do have. Yeah. The kindness acts that happen during the day. <clears throat> we, you know, one of the prayers we pray... Um, is the examine prayer, and that you know we pray that each day, and that's a great way of reflecting on what happened in that during that day. What did I feel, and how did I respond? Mm. So that is a great prayer, you know, to keep us on on point of where we are, how we feel, and how we respond. Yeah, and not you know to get to avoid getting caught up in those moments. 
You know what I love though about, I know you were kind of joking when you said keep the receipts. Um, but what I love about that is one of the other themes of Advent um, is repentance, right? Like that comes up in in the seat, well, through, you know, throughout the year. But, um, and you and I have talked about how that word can rub people the wrong way because it, it has taken on a connotation of like a really scary person with a Bible, like telling you to repent because you're bad. Um, but I've heard other people talk about it in a really beautiful way. Um, there's a podcast called the Robcast with a former pastor, Rob Bell, who did an episode on the word teshuva, which is the Hebrew word that has been translated as repent. Um, but he talks about it as, a, you know, another translation is to return. So it's the idea that you, you're starting from a good place and everyone goes off the path for a little while sometimes. And then teshuva means, oh, just return to the path. So I kind of like the idea of like, yeah, there are going to be times you buy something thinking it'll fill the, the hole inside but you have your receipt and you can teshuva <laughs> and you can, you can return the thing, you know, like it, right. it's not like all hope is lost. If you, if you fall into that trap right. every right. now and then. Right. Yes. And it's true. Like the idea of repentance, you know, it's hard to get through Advent without noticing John the Baptist because he ends the story of the old Testament and Jesus, you know, is the light and opens up the new Testament so, but with John the, you know, even with John the Baptist, as he preached repentance and, and really created that sense of discomfort, because anytime we repent for something, there's going to be a discomfort, a feeling of uncomfortable. Am I ready to make this change? What do I have to give up? How do I need to change? And in, even in John the Baptist, you know, he recognized that I must decrease so Jesus can increase. Mm. And we have, we experience that in our own lives, you know, where I may have to decrease in, um, you know, a selfishness so that I could be more in, increase in generosity. Mm. So it's being able to move from a, a, a maybe a, a place of self righteousness to a place of humility, mm. you know, uh, to decrease in my need for attention and increase to see that other people get attention and mm -hmm. admiration. Yeah. And sometimes it can be the opposite, right? There are people who are so constantly just pouring out for others that they get burnt out and they have to realize, oh, I need to take care of myself a little bit so that, so that I can actually show up in the world, you know, with a full cup as opposed to just being burnt right. out, right? Right. And I, you know, that's, that's the tipping point of, you know, to be able to give, share and participate um, and engage with people, but from a, a very loving way. It's when we stop doing those things and um, that without love, you know, to remember that no matter what we do for others, we do with love. Mm. I feel like the word love can just so easily, we can, it almost doesn't, mean anything to us like we hear it so much that it can be hard to take in um, or it can just start to feel so overused that right. we hear it and it's it's hard to actually feel what, what would it actually be like if I was if I brought love to each encounter you know that I have or or we were 
taught to think of love in pretty narrow ways, I think, as like romantic love or maybe yeah. and maybe familial love. But there's so many different types of love and it can show up in so many ways, like any interaction that you're having. Right. Yeah. And it's really, you know, for, you know, when you, to love is really to see the goodness in others. You know, there's a sense of humility, you know, of creating a space uh, for others, putting them before my own self-need, but willingly. You know, I want to do this. I want I want to be there for you. I want you to have this. Mm. You know, that's, that's the beauty and the challenge. Yeah. It, love will always pull ourselves out of ourselves. Mm. I feel like that's what, one of the concepts I struggle with the most is like, I find that I often want the answer to be that I just need to be more selfless. But sometimes I feel like that's a way for me to avoid taking responsibility or making difficult choices or that's me kind of fearing disappointing people or, you know, just wanting to please people is different from, from truly being, um, from truly doing what you're describing because sometimes, you know, you can't always please everybody and you can't just um, go along with everything just to keep people comfortable. That's not really the, the type of love that you're talking, talking about. Right, right. right. And this, you know, and to be able to be present to the moment, you know, and a lot of this love that we give, we, we can't do alone. Like it comes with prayer, it, you know, and a lot of, you know, uh, a lot of prayer because it's, it's a gift, you know, that we're able to offer that, you know, it's our goal. We don't always get there, but it's, it's, that's what we're looking towards. That's where we're moving towards. Um, that's selfless. Mm -hmm. I, I did read that book, um, the art of tidying up. Mm -hmm. And I had a, you know, I really found out a book about the book from my cousin. We were talking about it and I, you know, I got to reading it, and it's a wonderful book. I mean, she, she's definitely into organizing and tidying. But what struck me was in one part of the book where she talks about go through your closet and picking out clothes. And she's there, you know, take take that piece of clothing with both hands, look at it, and just ask the question, does this bring me joy? Mm -hmm. And I thought so much about Ignatian spirituality mm -hmm. because you know, that's one of the big things is, will this bring me closer to God mm. or this decision, whatever I'm moving towards should always be a movement towards, will this bring me closer to God? And, and that, you know, growing closer in our relationship with God really does bring joy. Mm. So if it's going to bring me joy, it's going to bring me closer to God. So I always, you know, and it did change my shopping habits. Yeah. You know, I really look for that piece of clothing. It's going to get at least three seasons <laughs> Yeah, and I have to love it. Like, am I going to love this? If I like it, it goes back on the rack. Mm -hmm. If it doesn't bring me joy, it goes back on the rack. Um, so I, so that really kind of, you know, we always have those moments in our life. And I think it's a great a discernment mm -hmm. of asking ourselves, what do I bring into my life? Yeah. And does, will that bring me joy? Not that, that surface joy, but that deep joy. Mm -hmm. That, you know, will this bring me closer to God? Yeah, it's interesting to think about um, closeness to God feeling like joy because, again, I don't know that that's necessarily where people's minds go, that God equals 
feeling joy. Like a lot of people have some heavy connotations and it's like a nice reminder to go, oh, some people feel (laughs) really joyful Joyful. about it. (laughs) Right. There's a relationship. You know, it's kind of interesting because I I remember a priest saying in one of their homilies is that sometimes the only thing we have in in common with each other is suffering. And it would create a new awareness of my own understanding of of people and our that people don't always feel love mm. and that unless we feel love human love it's really hard to experience to know or think that god loves me yeah but it's like a fun you know it's one of those things i really kind of encourage people to um to know that god loved us first mm. and there's is there's poems about it there's scripture passages <clears throat> But it's one of those things we can't hear enough. Yeah. You know, and a lot of times it's just sitting with that whole word that God loves me, that I'm loved by God. And we do spend a lot of time in that. And and, um, Ignatius teaches that a lot and encourages that. Yeah, it's funny because it's making me think about that talk with Pema Chodron and Father Greg Boyle again, because someone asked them during the Q&A, like, what... What led you to these lives of um, trying to live out compassion for other people and believing, you know, they both really believe in basic goodness and every human being is basically good Mm -hmm. and lovable and all these things, like no matter, no exceptions. And both of them said that they had really, they were very fortunate and just very lucky to have loving childhoods and upbringings where they felt that you know, from their parents and, right. you know, they basically felt good and loved and yeah. And so it, it really, so draws us into that place of love God, love your neighbor, love yourself. There's a reason why that's, that's, you know, the greatest commandment because, you know, we need to be people of love for others who haven't experienced it. Yeah. Yeah. And that's like, I mean, I guess a spiritual director or a therapist can become that figure for people of, of love and compassion that maybe mm-hmm. they haven't experienced before. And a great place to remind them how much they are loved. Yeah. And then to notice, you know, we can only say the words, but to encourage them to experience, to notice God's love in the world, you know, that you know, we talk about that too. Where do you find, you know, peace, joy, happiness? Mm. And a lot of people say, well, I find it, you know, in nature. Mm. And then, you know, to take that, that place and say, well, what do you, what does it feel like when you're in nature? And then they can experience, you know, talk about, well, you know, there's just such a peaceful feeling. I feel so connected. I see life. I see, you know, creation, you know, in in its beauty. Mm. So it becomes very consoling, yeah. You know, and we remind them, well, you know, who who built that? You know, who created? Mm-hmm. Who's the creator? You know, and they they start seeing God as creator, not just of humans, but of all creation, that uh, constant creation. You know, a lot of people, I think, actually have. I know I'm kind of harping on this, but a lot of people have a more destructive God in their minds, a God of judgment and. Um, you know, condemnation and, and, you know, the God that sends a flood or, you know, 
um, you know, the hellfire God in their minds. It's hard for them to feel safe and to trust and believe in a God that loves them and accepts them, you know, exactly as they are. Right, Um, right. A lot of times it's being helping people to notice the the difference that, um, you know, if they haven't had a loving experience with their father or their mother, you know, that experience is going to be missing in God or Mary. Some people will say, you know, I... Um, I don't have a close relationship with Mary. It's very difficult to understand Mary as mother of God because, you know, I didn't have a motherly presence in my mm-hmm. life. So it's only through experience maybe with other women that we start seeing that that maternal love mm-hmm. um, of Mary, of other people. So we may not have it in our immediate families, but we we talk about it and we notice those those relationships with other people. Mm-hmm. And people's like, oh, yeah, you know, she was like a mother to me. She was so kind. Mm-hmm. And then, we, you know, people start seeing the connections between that relationship and a relationship with Mary. And the same with God. You know, we kind of help them. They'll, they'll come to the point where they say, you know what? You know, I think I, did, I see God as being very angry because, you know, my dad punished me a lot. You mm-hmm. know, I had a very, you know, violent childhood. So, you know, my my view was very limited But now that, you know, I see God differently in different ways, not just through my human experience, but through, you know, uh, scripture passages, through nature, um, through through other people that I have a more expanded view of God and God's love. Mm -hmm. And to be able to kind of separate them and realize that, you know, I stayed away from God because I, you know, I feared my father. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and... When I've asked you about scripture in the past, because I can find scripture really difficult to, my brain just, like, I take in something good, it goes in one ear and out the other. I read something scary, <laughs> threatening, whatever, and that is what sticks in my brain and what I hang on to. Um, and I like the quote that you shared that... Um, as Christians, we believe everything in the Bible, and some of it may have actually happened. <laughs> um, so I was wondering if you could just talk about that a little bit. Well, so we know in the Old Testament, it, the source is really um, oral tradition, right? So what we have, what we see written in the Old Testament or the Hebrew Bible really came from an oral tradition. So when you imagine your own family stories, you know, the fish, the camping story, or the, when the fishing trip where that fish just gets... Each time the story is told, that fish gets bigger and bigger. Or, uh, you know, the campfire that starts off with just s'mores now becomes like an inferno. You know, it is the stories and the details just seem to grow. And I think that's part of you know um, the Old Testament that it came from uh, an oral tradition. And you know, it's but behind those stories, there even in those like fire brimstone stories, if you throughout the thread of the Old Testament are are really a human relationships and uh, conversations with God, you know, everywhere from, you know, Ab- Abraham and Sarah, where, you know, Sarah af- actually laughs at God when he suggests that she's going to have a child. Mm-hmm. You know, she laughs. Um, Hannah, you know, when she's praying for her son, she's, you know, the uh, Eli's saying, well, you're drunk, and she's praying. Mm-hmm. You know, so there's always these interesting stories of relationships and conversations that 
that really go through that whole story of of our salvation. Um, and so maybe kind of focus on those relationship stories, mm-hmm. and that you know the the punishment are those exaggerations, and. And I think even Richard Rohr brings out the point that a lot of those stories of that violent God were really their own experience of human experience of mm. violence projecting on a God. Mm. And maybe even trying to do some of that explaining that we talked about, explaining. Um, the unexplainable. Yeah. yeah. Explaining why bad things have yeah. happened. But then mm. there are other parts, passages where it's pretty explicit, like, no, you can't explain why this happened. It just did. Yeah, you know, you did everything right. and <laughs> Right. There's a certain mystery, yeah. Yeah. I will also say, I know you've said to me in the past, if the scripture is just way too triggering, don't, don't right. go there. Don't <laughs> right? go there. Yeah, it's not. Um, if it's, you know, there's two points. If it's bringing you to a desolation, a sadness, you know. But if you're being challenged by it, you got to look at that feeling mm-hmm. and say, is this... Something I'm avoiding. Am I being challenged in a way that, you know, God is speaking to me so that I need a way that I need to grow and change? Mm-hmm. Then scripture kind of, kind of like makes sense. Right. Yeah, because there's always a way of noticing God, not just through scripture. So, I, you know, I always encourage people to notice God in creation, um, in art, you know, any type of beauty. Mm-hmm. And each other, you know, God reveals himself with our, you know, through our friends, our family, our work. Um, and God reveals himself in even our, in our church teachings, you know, that are, that are, you know, can be quite beautiful. Could you give an example of one that you find beautiful? Well, yeah. It, um, our, our liturgical seasons, mm. you know, the flow of them, you know, Advent that brings us um, to the incarnation of God coming into our world and Lent, you know, where we're called to, uh, called to, um, again, slow down, go into that desert area and to be with Jesus and understand his suffering, be with Jesus in his suffering and death and resurrection. Mm-hmm. It's that whole movement of suffering, death and resurrection. You know, there's not an Easter Sunday without a Good Friday. Mm-hmm. And I think we see that even in our human suffering. A life, death, and resurrection. Yeah. You know, and the real story of being of the resurrection, mm-hmm. that new life. And even in the season of Advent, we have that, that darkness, but then Right, the moving light. to light, yeah. You know, again, looking at that story of the Annunciation, right, with Mary, and what, and what we noticed in that story of Mary's what we call uh, freedom, right? And Ignatius would call it spiritual freedom. And that's truly Mary. That's what Mary was coming from, that that feeling of that place of spiritual freedom. And people say, well, what is, you know, spiritual freedom? Mm -hmm. So I I always like, there's a a wonderful book, The Ignatian Adventure by Kevin Mm O'Brien. We use it for the 19th annotation, but he gives a great description of spiritual freedom as an interior freedom, a freedom of mind and heart. Um, and who, how do we know we're experiencing spiritual freedom? And they, he, so he writes how people who are spiritually free know who they are with all their gifts and limitations, are comfortable with who they are. 
So even in the spirit, in the season of Advent, is to recall who we are as a child of God. Mm. What are my limitations? What are my gifts? It reminds us of our true identity, children of God, and that we lovingly and willingly and lovingly keep God in the center of our lives. You know, what is the, you know, to stay in that center and we come, become, we work at becoming more and more aware of God's voice. What is God saying to me? Listening for God in our daily lives and to respond generously and openly. So we're not always free. We're not always in that center place. Um, and so we know when spiritual freedom is missing in our lives when we become excessively attached, right, to persons, places, mm. things, uh, possessions, titles, occup- occupations, um, honors, admiration of others, you know, that kind of just keeps growing on us. So these these things are good in themselves, possessions, admiration. It's become it's when they overcome us mm. and they pull us away from the people that we love and they pull us away from God and God's love. They become disordered attachments, as we call them. And we really need to pray for the grace to let go of them, to notice how they've taken over our lives and be willing to let go of it. Mm-hmm. To move, again, we, we move again towards that centeredness of God-centered life. Mm-hmm. I'm definitely someone who's very attached. <laughs> we all are. We all have our attachments. So it's just, it's just this constant noticing and letting go and that really becomes a a movement of forgiveness Mm. you know we really get to a place where you know we're of forgiveness to not not be so easily offended um, understanding the limitations of others Mm -hmm. again it's moving out of ourselves towards someone else Mm. because i think those disordered attachments draw us into ourselves Mm. Whereas spiritual freedom will always pull us out of ourselves Mm. towards God, towards others. Do you have time for me to ask you one more question? Sure, sure. (laughs) Um, So I I like to ask most people that I have on the podcast, as long as I remember, um, what's something that you're learning about or growing into in your life right now? Yeah, so I guess a couple of things, right? So I'm at that point in my life where... Retirement isn't that far off. So I have to start imagining my life as, you know, being retired. Um, Also, you know, in my life here at Loyola, my work here as a spiritual director, my work in retreat ministry has really pushed me out into uh, new learning experiences. You know, I was um, almost, you know, 40 years in technology, much different, a similar world, but much different, right? (laughs) You know? Uh, a lot of it was, you know, it's technical. It's, you know, I have a limited vocabulary. We have about 12 words we use in technology. <laughs> yeah. um, and even, you know, to give, like, presentations, you know, public speaking, talking about my faith so openly that I'm getting more and more comfortable with. Mm-hmm. Uh, but there's that transition of, you know, going from this world of technology into this world of, of spiritual direction, retreat ministry. It's just, that's been my big growth period, mm. I think, is as learning, you know, to write about subjects that 
I'm familiar with, but now I'm able to go deeper. Mm. So I think that's really been my my big uh, learning experience. Because I would often say to my spiritual directors, like, I would never recommend, you know, turning 60 and go doing something else. Like, learn <laughs> to write eight pages or a 20-minute talk or, yeah. you know... I would never recommend that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Most people are, you know, they're going to, they're going on the beach or planning vacations. You yeah. know, I find myself, you know, what are you doing this weekend, mom? I'm still working on that talk I have to do. <laughs> yeah. You know, these are new skill sets for me. Yeah. Um, maybe not new, but used in a different way. Because mm-hmm. even in my work in technology, I had to give presentations and talks and I did writing and, but it was just a little bit different. Yeah. And, and after, you know, 30 years or 40 years, I'm really comfortable with it, whereas this is is, is new. I'm the new person on the block. So mm-hmm. it's been very humbling. Um, you know, I see it as my graduate program where I'm constantly learning, at, you know, by by reading and learning from, you know, my uh, my colleagues here at Loyola, the Jesuit priests and um, the other spiritual directors. Yeah, I mean, that's such a different in terms of like you're saying the language and vulnerability and emotion and right all of that i mean making tons of is, making tons of mistakes yeah so it's really it's been wonderful but it's been a real learning experience mm-hmm. it sounds like that's what keeps people like alive though right it's right. like continuing to learn and grow if you were just lying on the beach you might kind of i'd be reading novels you know <laughs> who knows getting a sunburn <laughs> but you might get a little Desolate, actually, yeah, right? Yeah, like bored. if you don't have meaning or purpose. Yeah, yeah this is, um, so it's been, it's really been a blessing. I've been so fortunate to be part of this community, uh, um, to learn retreat ministry. Um, so I'm really grateful. Well, thank you. I'm very grateful to you for oh. having this conversation. Thank you, Victoria. And I think it's been lovely. So you're going to invite me back? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Easter, here we come. <laughs> Thank you so much for listening to the Perennials Podcast. I'm Victoria Russell. If you enjoyed the episode, please share it with a friend, subscribe wherever you get your podcasts, and leave a review on iTunes. It really helps other people to find the show. You can follow along on Instagram at Perennials Podcast, and feel free to send me an email at perennialspodcast at gmail.com. The song you're hearing now is I Orbit a Moon by Paul Finn.